Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Woman Broken, A Woman Healed podcast. This is episode four, and our topic today is I Feel Helpless. Our co-host today is Sabrina Hall. She is coming to us out of West Palm Beach, Florida. Ms. Hall is the mother of three children. She has one grandson, and she is a, a woman of God. I would like to... Um, talk with her today we're going to be discussing um incarceration today as she is a mother who has experienced having a child being incarcerated a black person is five times more likely to be stopped without just cause than a white person a black man is twice as likely to be stopped without just cause than a black woman 65 percent of black adults have first have felt targeted because of their race. Similarly, approximately 35% of Latinos and Asian adults have felt targeted because of their race. However, um, Ms. Hall, her situation was not because her son was targeted by the police for being stopped in a vehicle, but Black men do experience that on a daily basis. And we're going to allow her this evening to share her experience with her son being incarcerated and what led up to his incarceration. And I'd just like to um, introduce her today. And um, how are you today, um, Ms. Paul? I'm very well. Thank you so much for asking, Sister Davis. It's a pleasure to join you on this podcast this evening. Right. Well, I'd just like you to, um, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and and a little bit about your son and what um, took place in in regards to his incarceration. Well, as as Sister Phyllis stated, my name is Sabrina Hall. I do have three children, two sons. My oldest son is 30. My youngest son is 28, and my daughter is 15. And the love of my life is my grandson. He's seven years old. So as um, Sister Phyllis stated, I do have a my 28-year-old son. He has been incarcerated now for seven years. He grew up in the church all his life. That's all he knows. And unfortunately, he ended up getting arrested for an unfortunate situation that took place here in the city that I live in. And of course, as a mother, it is devastating to have your son arrested. And not only was he just arrested, he is now sentenced to 20 years in prison. And it's very hard, you know, as a woman of faith at the time, it was very hard during his arrest. But as I often say, God is truly, truly faithful in any situation that we do face. Now, as I stated, he grew up in the church all his life. My husband and I, we raised him in a very well-to-do neighborhood, gated community, however, but he took the path that he chose, which was the wrong path. He chose to participate in gang activity, and oftentimes as mothers, sometimes we come to a place of denial. We don't want to face what our children do, even you know, though we cannot be with them at all times. We just say, no, that's not them. No, they're not participating in this. They're not participating in that. But in my circumstances, he was. And it ended up, you know, 
unfortunate for our family. Right, right. So were you uh, aware that your son was possibly in a gang or did you know um, his friends that he had been around that caused him to, um, you know, to come to contact with law enforcement and, and, and get in trouble, have, a, um, you know, criminal charges against him? Well, at the time, I did not know he was participating until this day. He's never um, confessed that he was participating. But as as a mother, you kind of know, in a sense, something's not right. Something's going on different. And with the friends that he had, yes, I began to put two and two together. This is what he's doing. This is who he's running with. And it just... You know, it was one thing after another with him. And my husband and I, we just began to watch, to watch the things that he would do, watch the things that he would bring home, watch the things that he would say. Sometimes he would leave and he would, you know, just be gone for days and days. And I would have to go and find him or send my other son to find him. But I came to a realization that, this is what he's choosing. Could I stop him? I did everything I possibly could to Phyllis to wow. try and stop him, to try to put him on the right path. But it was just something that he chose at that time. Right. And he had never been in trouble prior to um, this particular incident that caused him to, you know, to be incarcerated. Had he had any kind of youth um you know, incarceration oh, or anything like that? Definitely. He okay. did. He actually, um, and I just want to say this. I, I really want to share this. As a woman of faith, as a believer, it truly becomes hard with mothers who have to go in the courtroom and they're dealing with the juvenile justice system. Um, at the age of 13, he began to run away, and this is all leading up to the participation of the gang activity. He began to run away. He began to get arrested. Um, he began to skip school. It's just so many things that began to happen in his life that as a mother and growing up in the church and as a woman of faith, that I just couldn't believe it was happening. Right. To answer your question, yes, it was different signs of that participation that led us up to this very point right now. Yeah. Right. And do you think that um, as a youth being in, like, youth detention, do you think that the, like, his, um, yeah, I don't know how it works as far as, like, do they have, like, parole officers or uh, correction officers in the youth detention centers? Um, do you think that they may have let you down or they didn't give, provide you with the proper guidance to try to guide them in the right direction so that when they became, when he became an adult, then he wouldn't possibly, you know, continued in maybe the activities that he was doing as a youth? Do you think that it could have been something more that they could have helped, you know, in guiding your son so he, you know, wouldn't have ended up being incarcerated as an adult. Most definitely. Um, 
because here in the, in the county that I live in, it's nothing really provided for our youth. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, it's really not that mentorship or anything of that nature. And I think, well, during that time, it wasn't. And I believe that, you know, when a youth began to get in more and more trouble, then law enforcement began to watch them more. And when I say watch, they're watching for them to get in trouble instead of watching for them to begin to do better. And they could have, you know, even though I'm the parent and his dad and I, we are the parent, but I just truly believe that there could have been more done if they would have in, implemented um, more um, teenage have been done in our county if they would have in, implemented more help to our youth, um, right. especially between the ages of 13 and 19. Those are very, very critical age for our young black men. And we just didn't have that during that time. That was back in 2000, I want to say 2007, 2008. We just did not have that um, that mentorship from our law enforcement. They just did not offer a whole, whole lot. So therefore, oftentimes, our young men, they find comfort in other things that are appealing to them. Right, right. And so when your son started to run away as a youth, um, do you think he was just running away because, because I know you personally, I know uh, you Mm -hmm. to be a woman of faith and um, you have a strong faith in God. And um, I know that you sold the word to him and get, you know, took him to church and, and, you know, provided that strong foundation in his life. But sometimes no matter what we do as men and women Mm -hmm. of faith, you know, our children have a tendency to feel that they need to be accepted by their friends, you know, and things like that. And, and oftentimes they really don't have a reason to run away from home. They're just trying to run away so that they can do what they think they want to do, you know, because a lot of times our young people think they know more than us as parents, you know. So do you think that when he was running away, he basically was running away just so he can get involved in, you know, um, you know, criminal activities with his friends or um, being involved in drugs or alcohol or things like that, that led to more criminal activity? Well, I, what I think is, and some of it comes from rebellion and Mm -hmm. most of it comes from peer pressure. You, it's just certain things that, um, his dad and I wouldn't allow. And maybe, you know, he had other friends that their parents allowed that. And it's just when children are growing up in a place and they're listening to others, it brings about that peer pressure. And I just truly believe that it was peer pressure that brought along that turning point in his life to the point where he wanted to be accepted. He wanted to be seen as, you know, I can do this. I'm the big guy here. It's just so much that our sons and daughters get engaged in. And oftentimes, too, they also are crying out for help. So it could have very well been a cry for help as well and attention. But I truly believe in my son's case that it was basically peer pressure. 
Right, right. And I have to agree with you. Um, I know I have a son um, who had gotten into some trouble as a youth, um, you know, hanging around friends and, and, and getting in trouble and, and doing, you know, little things like stealing and stuff like that. And, you know, us being called as parents and, you know, like you said, me and my husband, you know, raised our children, you know, in the church. And um, it's very disappointing and, and a little embarrassing, you know, especially when you hold positions in the church, you know, that your children are found uh, being involved in criminal activity, you know, um, because, you know, like you said, we don't raise our children that way. But a lot of times, you know, they're their own person and they're going to make their own decisions. And no matter what we do, no matter how much we take away, um, you know, like the PlayStation, the TV, put them on a punishment, you know, don't let them be involved in, you know, their basketball or football or whatever it is that we do to try to discipline them. They oftentimes are still going to rebel and go the opposite direction. And unfortunately, when they become adults at 18, then they go into the adult system, you know, and mm -hmm. so um, like you, I had one son, um, he's not been incarcerated in prison, but he has gone to jail. So, um, you know, with that, you know, you try to teach your sons, you know, um, you know, hey, you at this age and you have to be careful because the things that, that affect them when they become incarcerated, you know, a lot of times when they come out, it's hard for them to get a job, you know, they lose mm -hmm. their voting rights and, um, you know, people don't, you know, they don't want to be bothered with them, you know, when, you know, after they've been incarcerated and they don't understand the rights that they're giving up uh, when they become incarcerated and people oftentimes, you know, want to keep, you know, them in that mental state and then they end up um, you know, relapsing in a sense of going back to the criminal activity that they once did before, you know, when they, you know, when they, before they, um, when they got incarcerated initially, they end up relapsing and going back to prison. Um, but what would you say um, if that you wish you had known that you, that you experienced or you learned once your son was in the criminal, um, you know, once he had the case against him and, you know, like trying to get, obtain attorneys and, and things like that. What are some of the things that you experienced that you wish you had a known that could have made a difference in your case? And, and I mean, did you have attorneys that was there to help you? Um, what was your experience in regards to like, you know, attorneys and law, you know, lawyers? Well, well we, and it's it's a good question that you asked because as far as my um getting an attorney for my son, the fees for him was coming up to close to twenty thousand dollars plus. Wow. Just to try to um keep him from getting that much time. Like I stated, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. If I had known what I know now, I would never, you know, have paid that much money because we paid the money, mm -hmm. but he still lost um, the case 
of him not going to prison or even getting lesser time in prison. So if I had known better as far as just getting an attorney or, you know, a lawyer, what have you, I would never have done it, particularly, to be honest, because it was just wasted time and wasted money. They often say these words that attorneys know attorney. The state attorney works together and prosecutor and the judge and the lawyer. All of them work together. And I you know, I feel as though when they look at a case like my son that he's been in and out of the juvenile system and, you know, he's just a case. Right. And he's he's going anyway, whether you pay the money or not. And that's what, that what happened to me, I you know, or to our family. I would not have ever because I feel personally, this is my feeling, that they had already made their decision for my son because they right. just felt like he was another case. He was, a, you know, statistic for society as being a black man. Um, never really, you know, gave them a chance to become an adult because I believe you just stated as young young men they're teenagers they make the wrong decisions um, they just never really gave him the opportunity to be a man and to make the right decisions but had I known it then honestly I would never have paid $20,000 right some people going to prison right and, you know, the thing about, like you said, attorneys, you know, a lot of times you do spend, you know, you spend money, you know, to try to help them to have a reduced sentence. And I know, like, in my son's case, you know, we pay an attorney and he got his sentence, you know, he did go to, he had a, um, end up with a, a, a year sentence, you know, and in jail. Um, we did pay an attorney his case was reduced to eight months and he did only have to spend three whole months in jail because he got like, uh, what is it? Three for one, three for one. And he was a, um, a tr- um, trustee. Um, but you do spend a lot of money and it's almost like, you know, you know, with, with um, African-Americans, uh, uh, oftentimes, you know, our sons come from like, not in our case, you know, both of us, you know, had husbands or whatever, but a lot of times, you know, you have single mothers who, you know, they just don't have that kind of money, you know, to spend for attorneys and then, or like in my son's case, he did go to jail for a couple months. However, you know, then he got on probation for like 24 months and then you have to pay a hundred dollars a month you got to go see your probation officer you know and that's money and if 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 he don't have the money then they're looking at me to pay it but well in my case i wasn't going to pay the hundred dollars a month but the thing about it is you know it's almost like the family has a case against them too because you know a lot of times family put up their homes, you know, they, 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 and, and everything else to try to bond out, you know, their children. And it's not only, it's like, we become criminal, criminalized too, in a sense, you know what I'm saying? We didn't do anything, but we're paying for something that unfortunately our child may 
and sometimes may not have done. You know, sometimes they're just there. You know, they may have been with them. They didn't even know their friends were doing illegal activity, you know, or criminal activity. Mm -hmm. And then they get get a case caught on them, you know. And so the you know the 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 law enforcement you know it it it's it's hard you know not just on you know the the man or the woman who ends up you know being incarcerated but it's very difficult on the families you talking about you know sometimes husbands you know or wives that end up incarcerated mm-hmm. and then you got the mental health issues you know with That's the true. family members that are left behind you got the financial burdens that they are left with, you know, and it is so much, you know, that go on with the whole prison system. And then when you're the, the, the person is in prison, you got the penal labor where they work in for large corporations, you know, and they're getting paid like a dollar an hour or sometimes yeah. even less than that. You know, that's yeah. almost like modern day slavery. You know, they can free slave labor, you know. So <laughs> it is so much, you know, um, with the prison system. And a lot of it is like, like I said to me, it's like modern day slavery. It is. It is. It is. It is. Definitely. Um, and right now, in the pandemic, they're really not even, yeah. they're not working, they're not really able to do anything in the prison, they're not able to go to recreation, they're really not really able to have visitors or anything, so now, being in prison is just that, being in prison, right. they're confined and they're really not able to do anything. Right, and I was going to touch on that also, because um, I found that there were, um, as far as like this COVID-19, you know, pandemic that we're, you know, currently still dealing with, there are over um, 68,000 identified prison inmates with cases of COVID-19. And the five largest known clusters of COVID-19 viruses are inside the correction institutions. And so, like Mm -hmm. you said, you got um, prisoners who you know, not only are they incarcerated and dealing with the mental health issues that come with, you know, being isolated and not being able to see family and not being able to see family during holidays and Christmases and deaths of other family members and things like that. Now they're dealing with this COVID-19, you know, and, and no one can come and visit them or anything else, which makes, you know, the stress and anxiety even greater you know, being locked behind prison walls, you know, and a lot of them are not getting the treatment that they need, you know, um, during this pandemic. So I'm sure during this pandemic, um, it has to be something that uh, concerns you as a mother, having your child being, um, you know, incarcerated and, you know, being concerned about, you know, this COVID-19. So, how have you dealt with, with that issue and have you been able to talk with your son during this um, pandemic? Well, I have. I, I pretty much talk to him every day. And mm-hmm. just to let you know, he was diagnosed with COVID-19. It wasn't as severe um, as some have had. They, some have died in the prison system from it, but his was not as severe. He did have it. 
for the full two weeks and he had to quarantine well for two weeks. So I had had a concern um, about that early on and he did contract it early on in the prison system. And the course did not just come from inside, someone had to bring it um, inside the prison. Right. He was. So yes, I was very, very concerned um, from the beginning of this virus, and he did tell me that he contracted Right. So do you know if currently uh, a lot of the inmates, are they being able to be vaccinated during this um, pandemic? Well, um, at this time, we haven't had the opportunity to talk about that, and that uh, I will ask him that question. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't. He has not mentioned anything to me about receiving um, the vaccination or anything. And I guess that's why he really, really didn't talk about it as mm-hmm. of yet, because he never mentioned it to me or as right. a go. Right, right. So I know during um, the time when you were, your son was, um, you know, going to court, you know, and things like that. And, and, you know, during his sentencing, I know that you had a very difficult time, you know, dealing with, um, you know, your son facing prison time. And I know um, out of um, this whole circumstance, uh, a ministry was birthed out of um you know out of your experience and um i would love for you to share with us um tonight um your ministry and um how it was birthed from you know your son being um incarcerated most definitely i would love to do that um of course the name of the ministry is mothers banding together in prayer and Mother's Band Together in Prayer was birthed back in April of 2016. Reason being is, as you stated, Sister Phyllis, my son received incarceration. At the time, he was in jail due to a situation that happened here in the city that we lived in. One night, I began to pray and cry and pray and cry. I was laying on the floor, um, stretched out before the Lord, just praying and crying. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to me as plain as day. The Spirit said, stop praying for him. And I know that may sound harsh to some mothers because it did to me. I, I didn't want to stop praying for my son. But the Lord commanded me to stop praying for him. The Spirit of the Lord began to say, It's time for you now to cry out for other mothers. Your son's judgment has already been set. So I need you to begin to pray for other mothers. And in that instant, I just paused and I didn't say anything. And I began to ask the Lord why. And the Lord began to say, because other mothers need me as far as you. And I began to say, God, but my son, and the Lord began to say, his judgment has already been set. Now, he could have ended up with a life in prison, but God did have mercy. And I know 20 years sound, you know, as if it's a very long time, and it is a very long time. But God spared him to not get in life in prison, and I'm grateful for that. 
he actually had um, 12 more years to go, and I'm grateful to God. But Mothers Banded Together in Prayer is an awesome, awesome movement, an awesome outreach ministry, because I've met so many mothers who have sons that are on death row. I have mothers that I meet whose daughters are in prison for 50 years, um, mothers whose sons are in, in prison for life. And it's just not the everyday way mother who is facing this situation. It is the mother who is the evangelist, the mother that's the missionary, the mother that is the pastor, the mother that is the prophetess, the mother that is on the battlefield. Because this is what the enemy have launched. He have launched an attack against our children, especially our male seed. So this is why God commissioned me to begin to pray and intercede for our mothers. And it's not just the mothers who are in church. It is the mothers, you know, that have not chosen Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior because the Lord spoke to me and told me that he have heard the cry of mothers. I have gone up before him of the mothers who are crying for those sons and daughters who are participating in gang activities, those sons and daughters who are um, participating in, in gun violence and, and drugs and going back and forth to prison. So the Lord commissioned me to begin to take a stand against this enemy that looks to destroy our children. When our focus are on our kids, we cannot be as effective in the body of Christ as God has called us to be. And this it is so important as the people of God that we are in a place of interceding. And this is where God has called me in a time such as um, a way of mothers banding together in prayer. And I absolutely love, love, love this ministry, I absolutely love reaching out to our mothers who are faithful. Not only our mothers, it's the same as a whole. Authors as well, they face the same thing pretty much sometimes as mothers face. But a mother's heart for her sons and daughters, you know, we just go through this whole withdrawal thing when it comes to our children. We begin to lose our focus. And this is why God has called me in a season in times such as this with mothers being together. Wow, that's wonderful. Well, I know with mothers banding together in prayer, um, it's the intercessory prayer ministry where um, mothers can get together and pray for their children. Um, but you all also are, are an outreach ministry as well. And so what are some of the things that mothers banding together in prayer do as an outreach ministry um, to help and assist mothers uh, whose children are facing incarceration and things like that? Well, we, um, as Mothers Band Together Prayer, we do try to provide funding for those mothers um, who have not seen their sons and daughters for quite some time. However, we can help um, with funding or travel expenses for them to get back and forth to the prisons to be able to visit or even just to um, receive funding so that they can receive a phone call from their sons. I have one young lady, 
her son has been in prison for 10 years. Nine of those years, she had not heard from her son at all. We were able to place a phone call to the, the state that her son is in. Also, we were able to speak to the warden that her son will be able to call his mother. And we were also able to give her funding so that she can have a phone so her son can call. Also, we provide transportation as much as we possibly can to the prison of incarceration that the sons or daughters may be in as well. Also, we do, you know, we don't just um, go to the prison system. We're a street outreach ministry. We provide clothing for um, homeless mothers as well, homeless fathers. We do homeless feeding. We just do so much outreach in our schools, as well as our boys and girls club, teaching our young um, people uh, about gang violence and gun activities, drug activities, just raising awareness in our communities and or abroad. Wow, that is such an awesome ministry. And um, I happen to be a a member of... um, Mother standing together in prayer. And I know personally, it has been a wonderful um, ministry, you know, for me in, um, in strengthening, you know, uh, uh, my faith. And I'm sure that you all have touched many lives. We're in different states. Um, however, um, I know in the state that you're in, I know you, you all have a bigger uh, membership um, there in Florida, and you're able to, you know, help and assist more people um, um, there. But Mothers Banding Together in Prayer is an awesome, an awesome ministry. And um, so I, I, I really thank God for you. And I thank God for your ministry. I thank God for um, your testimony in regards to uh, what you've gone through with your son. And I know there are many people um, in our listening audience who have had a son or, or, or a daughter that has been incarcerated or maybe a brother or a sister or another family member um, incarcerated. But, um, you know, the words that you said in regards to what God has called you to do, there is always hope in a situation mm-hmm. that seems so dark. You know, we just have to trust God even in a situation that sometimes, even though it seems like, you know, we feel helpless and we don't know what to do in regards to, you know, when our children, you know, have, um, you know, criminal charges against them or they're facing um, long prison sentences, Um, you know, sometimes God will birth, you know, a ministry, he will birth you know, something for us to do to be a blessing and an encouragement to other people who are going through the same thing because we don't go through, you know, things by ourselves. And sometimes when we have got to that place where we're strengthened, like in your situation, you're able to strengthen other women because you have the experience. You know what it goes through. You can help them firsthand. I can't too, to a certain degree, but... Mm -hmm. Like I explained to you earlier, my son only was in jail for a short length of time. I don't know the experience of having my child be absent, you know, for years and missing holidays and birthdays and graduations mm-hmm. and family outings. I don't, I don't have that 
quite that experience, but you have that experience that you are able to share with other people. And I know through your ministry that you're able to be a blessing to women. And I'm sure women are appreciative, you know, for being able to help them to get in contact with their, um, their loved ones, um, behind prison walls. And I just want to thank you tonight for, you know, just sharing um, your testimony um, with us in regards to your son. And I would just like for you to just give us, you know, share with us some, you know, closing um, thoughts on tonight. Awesome. I most definitely will. And it's truly, truly been a pleasure to share with you all. I just want to leave this, um, this word with you. And that comes from Matthew, the 14th chapter. And the 29th verse, and it says, and he said, come. Jesus is talking to Peter. No, I'm going to start at the 28th, I'm sorry, the 28th verse. Matthew 14 and 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. That word come stood out to me. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he said, walk on the water to go to Jesus. Now, this word come really stood out to me because it does not matter what's going on around you. What Jesus is saying to come. What took Peter's attention was the winds and the rains and everything that was going on around him, it took his focus off of Jesus, and he began to sink. But if Jesus is telling you to come, do not worry about what is going on around you. Just continue to come. Continue to go. Continue to follow Jesus. Do not steer to the left. Do not steer to the right. Just keep your focus on what the Lord is saying. And even though my son is incarcerated, I had to keep my focus and know that God was going to make the wind cease. He was going to make the rain stop. In my darkest time, in my darkest season, God had to be the one to pick me up. He had to be the one to command me to continue to come. He had to be the one to continue command me to continue to be strong in this situation of my son serving 20 years in prison. As you stated, Sister Phyllis, it is hard when, you, when you're going through Christmases and Thanksgiving and birthdays and so on and so forth, but you have to keep your focus on God, and you have to know that God is going to make everything all right in this situation. Our stories are already written. According to Jeremiah 29 and 11, the Lord said, I know the thoughts that I have toward you that are good and not of evil. And I thank God for that tonight, that he has brought me to a place of being strengthened. So if I can leave anything with anyone that is listening to this podcast, continue to be strengthened. Continue to keep your focus on God. And if he is calling you to come, just come. Thank you so much, Mr. Taylor. Amen. Well, thank you tonight, uh, Evangelist Sabrina Hall. You have truly mm -hmm. um, blessed us, um, our hearts on tonight. And uh, thank you for sharing your 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 ministry. Thank you for uh, sharing your testimony. 
And um, I hope that um, anyone out there that has, uh, like I said, a son or a daughter that's locked behind prison wall, just know that God is able to keep you even in the midst of your darkest hour. He will give you the strength as he has given Evans' call. So thank you for listening to A Woman Broken, A Woman Healed podcast, and we will see you on our next episode. Good night. Thank you.